Hello and welcome to Solent Sessions, where we meet researchers in our faculty. This podcast is for anyone interested in research and the person behind the process. It's hosted by me, Dr Emma Mosley, and Dr Mark Turner, where we take it in turns to chat to faculty members to get to know them and their research. We hope you enjoy. Okay, so hi everyone. Welcome to episode two of Solent Sessions, where we get to meet Dr. Emma Mosley, lecturer in sports psychology here at Solent University. So this is the other half of the podcast host attempt to get this thing off the ground and moving. So hi, Emma. Hi, Mark. Hopefully, uh, yeah, we can inspire people to want to come on our podcast. <laughs> Okay, so um, we'll, we'll we'll follow the same format um, as as we did in the first um, in the first episode. So the, the questions will be the same. Um, so really, we're interested at the beginning to know a little bit more about you, who you are, and and um, I guess the question is, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so um, I've always been really interested in sport and I've always loved sport when I was a kid like PE was my favorite subject um so I knew that I wanted to do something in sport um and for my A-levels I was studying PE and psychology um and I kind of really liked like both of those subjects and that kind of uh pushed me towards looking at like sports psychology courses because it's something that you study quite late on in your A level. So, you know, sometimes it's almost a bit too late when you've already chosen what it is you want to study. Um so I, I picked a sports psychology and coaching science undergraduate at Bournemouth University. And uh, another one of the reasons that I picked that undergrad was because it had a placement year. So it was actually a four-year undergraduate degree. Um, and I really like the idea of kind of, you know, getting out there and getting some experience before kind of really deciding what it is uh, that you want to do. And I'm quite glad that I did, because initially I thought I wanted to be a PE teacher because that at the time seemed like that was the only option when you wanted to do yeah. sport. You kind of were a PE teacher. Um, and hopefully my husband isn't listening downstairs because he is a PE teacher. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, so I uh, I split my placement because you were allowed to do, you had to do 40 weeks and I split it because I wanted to, you know, try a couple of different things. So I went out to Camp America and did kids coaching for, for the summer. Safe to say, I was never going to be a PE teacher. Um, I enjoyed it, but, you know, not as much as uh, as I would thought I would have. Um, and then my second half of my placement, I was actually a research assistant uh, at Staffordshire University. And that really kind of opened my eyes to the research area that I'm in now um, because it was very much lab based. We were looking at, you know, measuring people's heart reactions to stressful situations. And I basically assisted in, in all of the experiments that they were running. And kind of from that day, I was like, this is something that I really want to do. I want to work in a university. I really like, like the idea of doing research. Um, and yeah, when I finished my undergrad, there was a scholarship opportunity for a, for a PhD at Bournemouth, and I was lucky enough to get that. And that's kind of how I really started my research journey. And um, it's taken me to lots of different places and met some fantastic people. And 
yeah, and then uh, started teaching alongside the PhD because I did it part time because I was only part funded. Um, So I obviously needed some money to live. And uh, yeah, so I, I kind of started teaching that way. And and that's how I kind of got to where I am now. I don't want to deviate from our schedule. That's it's it's a fascinating um, it's a fascinating answer. I was just gonna. I just wanted to ask one quick question, if it's okay. You yeah. might say, "Well, hold on, because that's coming later on." But what what brings you what brings you alive in the lab? I really really like um, being able to kind of control a situation and manipulate the environment that somebody is in, um, and and see how they react basically, and. Um, you know, that stands us in really good stead when we want to look at things in, in the real world, because, you know, if you want to understand something new, you have to look at it in quite a constrained environment first to know whether it's actually going to have any effect. Um, so it is. And I just really like the process of like doing experiments. You know, it's very methodical and um, yeah. And the particular type of research that I do uh, what I did in my PhD was very much looking at pressurized environments. So, you know, putting people under pressure and getting them to do particular tasks, you often see some crazy and interesting reactions to that, um, you know, both in like behavior and also the data that you collect as well. So, yeah, that that's just one thing that I found really interesting. And I really like the, the process of, of lab based research. And that's and that came really from that research assistant role. Yeah, that's where it's, yeah I, I'd yeah. never experienced really that type of research before um and yeah it really just opened my eyes uh to to, to what sports psychology could be you know outside of just learning about the, the kind of core topics so it was yeah it was a really it was a fantastic process for me it's really what kind of shaped where I am now that's really interesting thanks for that I think one of the reasons why we're doing this as well is you know we, we go and we go to a lot of these meetings these faculty meetings faculty forum meetings and there's so many people it's like guests isn't it? there's so many people's faces on the on the screen but we don't really know the person and we don't know what that person's doing and where they come from and so it's a really interesting way to um, to get to get to know someone by by asking them that you know how did, how they got to where they are so okay then um, I guess the fun question, or the first fun question, um, one fact about you which doesn't relate to research. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this because I was going to say, oh, I play netball, but it is kind of, you know, that's still very much like sport related. Um, so I think something else that I'm really interested in and passionate about is actually like interiors um, because we have a house and we're doing it up and um I've just really become obsessed with you know home design and house plants and, and I know this is obviously the only the audio is recording but if anyone has seen me on a team's meeting um they can see that I have a, a growing jungle in my office um so yeah that that's one of my little hobbies outside of uh, research and I think it's quite nice also because it's quite creative and quite artistic and it's very different to what I do day to day when I'm looking at kind of like hard science and numbers and you know really structured stuff so it becomes you know a, a bit more natural and a, and a bit more artistic so it brings out my other side which I quite like. That's really interesting as well I was just going to say is that why you you like Instagram because you follow all of these I bet you follow all of these um, interior design and renovation projects and stuff. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like, I, it's there's more homes than people on my Instagram account. 
Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, let's get let's get into I guess the the, the research then. Um, I'm you know I, I'm not I'm a sports sociologist as I've as I've said. So this is going to be fascinating for me. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I, I know absolutely nothing about sports psychology really. So um, what? Yeah. What's what's your research area? Yeah, so um, I sit within sports psychology, um, which obviously is quite a broad field. There's there's a huge amount of different areas in sports psychology. Um, and I sit more within a specific area called psychophysiology, um, which is basically an area that looks at the interactions between uh, the brain and the body and how you know, what happens in our mind directly influences uh, our physiological response. So what happens in our body? Um, so a really nice example of uh, psychophysiology based research is we might put someone in a very stressful situation and measure lots of different kind of physiological responses that are associated to stress to determine, you know, how stressed that person might have been in that situation. For example, Heart rate might be quite a simple one. You might also measure something called galvanic skin response, which is like a, a sweat-based response. You could measure respiration. Um, some research measures uh, cortisol, which is the stress hormone. So um, the reason I'm, I'm kind of drawn to this particular research area is because it allows us to kind of, in a sense, objectify psychology. So sometimes... Uh, you know, it's it's potentially difficult to understand what's happening, um, particularly it, maybe if an athlete isn't forthcoming with really how they feel or what they're thinking at that particular time. It allows us to kind of have this proof, if you like. Um, not that it is proof. Obviously, there's lots of uh, inferring that we have to do. But it allows us to really kind of understand what's happening um, when an athlete has experienced something from a physiological level and we can kind of index it. So whether that's, you know, looking at it in the lab and, you know, trying to understand how someone's reacting to a pressurized situation, or if you're working in the field with an athlete, you know, you can actually kind of show them, right, you know, you're in a stressful situation. This is your heart rate right now. How are we going to bring that down? How are we going to make you feel more relaxed? So um, that that is, in a nutshell, what psychophysiology is, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make it does make sense. I was just going to ask. I was really interested. Like examples of stressful situations, and and you know who, how do you create those? Are they, you know that's what I as a sports sociologist, I'm thinking. Do, do you have to manipulate that? Is it something you would just you know? Can you yeah. say something about that? Uh, so. Um, we, I in particular was interested in pressurized situations and how people perform under pressure, because often we see that athletes can reproduce performances in training, reproduce performances in, in normal competition, but sometimes in pressurized situations, we often see that they can't produce that performance that they normally would do. Um, so in order to recreate pressure, um, we use uh, kind of a set of uh, rules prescribed by research uh, to help manipulate that situation. So, for example, we use things such as ego threat. Um, so uh, if you score poorly on this, um, there is a chance that you might get deselected. There is a chance that your name will be put on a leaderboard for everybody to see that you've performed poorly. Um, we use other things such as like audience presence. So actually getting people to watch you perform or you could have like a video camera 
and say that you're being recorded and that will be watched by experts at a later date. So there's, you know, there's a huge amount of stuff that we can manipulate in order to create pressure and and then you know really kind of understand what's happening to those athletes in those pressurized scenarios where, where did we will get to the other questions sorry but I'm just where did this psychophysiological interest specifically come from so that is very much from uh the research that was happening up at staffs and you know I was so fortunate because the the professor who offered me the position I wasn't hugely aware of who he was at the time, but, you know, he is a, a huge professor who has published um, a very well-known theory called uh, Challenge and Threat States in Athletes. And that looks specifically at different types of cardiac output um, that relates to either you see a pressurized situation as a challenge and you perform well and you have both positive psychological and physiological effects or you are a threatened athlete and you have negative physiological effects and negative psychological effects. So he was the the kind of one of the main authors around this um, theory. And, and I was helping out with PhD research that that was looking at this theory specifically. And that's that's where the interest came from. Really interesting. Really interesting. Okay, that leads us on nicely on then to this question about just being maybe a little bit more specific about your actual current research, your current work. So, so talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'm I'm specifically interested in one measure um, within psychophysiology because there's loads of different measures. Um, and my measure that I'm uh, really interested in is something called heart rate variability. And this is something that we can um, measure quite simply through ECG. Um, so we have portable ECG kit just with three electrodes. So it's really quite lightweight. Um, and what heart rate variability is is basically the time interval between our heartbeats that's what we're interested in so we're not necessarily interested in how many beats per minute um, which is what your doctor would ask you but actually we're really interested in that time interval in between the beats now the reason we're interested in that is because uh that is controlled by uh, neural processes so the reason our heart is changing is because the, the brain is telling it to change um, because of environmental demand. So, for example, see something threatening, brain says we should, you know, based on our fight and flight response, we should probably speed up our heart rate. But by taking the time interval in between those, um, actually, we're able to kind of index what's happening in the heart. But actually, it gives us a bit of a broader picture of you know what's happening in the brain uh, and the reason for this is uh, the heart is innervated by a nerve called the vagus nerve which you might have heard of and it's yeah. it's also known as the wandering nerve because basically it is just one of the biggest nerves in the body it innervates everything but what that nerve actually it, what makes it so special is because it can talk in a two-way communication so the heart can send information to uh the, this to the brain through the vagus nerve and vice versa and the brain can send information to the heart which is why in sports psychology it's so interesting for us to to look at this and what our current research is looking at is actually testing this particular measure as a measure of self-regulation in athletic environments so actually how athletes are coping in environments where they need to regulate themselves that maybe need to make some crucial decisions maybe need to control their emotional responses um 
be able to kind of hold tactical information whilst maybe looking for other information. So again, like all of these processes that are really important for sport, we are looking to see if we can index that with heart rate variability. And a lot of it's been proven in kind of more pure psychology, um, so more kind of cognitive psychology, but less has been done in sports psychology. Um, and some more recent research that, that we've done kind of after my PhD is actually looking at, okay, well, this is something that is you know, proving to be quite important in sports performance. Um, it's proving to be really beneficial when we're actually wanting to be able to regulate ourselves in situations that are quite difficult. So how can we enhance our heart rate variability? Because um, if we're able to have a more flexible uh, variation in our reaction, then usually we're able to cope better because we can get, give ourselves the resources that we need. Um, and one way that we can actually increase our heart rate variability is by slowing our breathing down. Um, so you often see this through meditation or through relaxation um, kind of interventions. But what we are looking at more recently is, okay, well, what does slow paced breathing do to our heart rate variability and how does that subsequently maybe improve our performance? Um, so we've published something recently where we looked at athletes using a single session of slow paced breathing. And uh, we did find that it increased heart rate variability for the time that they were doing it, but it wasn't necessarily for a long period of time after. So again, it's like, how do we take that information and put it into a sporting context? So it's still quite in its infancy to really understand how it's going to work. Um, but yeah, I hope that uh, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. It really does. Obviously, for someone like me, I've never, as I've never read sports psychology and absolutely never stood anything like this it's it does make a lot of sense yeah i was just there was one thing you kept saying in there i know this is about you it's about meeting at dr emma mosley but obviously i talked about a little bit about um networks you know you kept referring to we so obviously my research was very much on my own i i was in isolation i wasn't part of a team really other than you know my supervisor yeah uh, yeah um, so who's the you know without we don't need to name names but is, is it a network of of other other, I guess, other academic researchers. Yeah, very much so. That's so funny, actually, because I I hadn't really thought of it like that. But um, I was very, very interested in this particular measure when I started my PhD. Um, and there was one other researcher who was doing similar stuff to me. So like really wanting to look at this in pressurised situations, but also looking at other kind of subjective measures in psychology as well. Um, and I will name him because I okay. work very closely with him. So um, I uh, met, emailed Dr. Sylvan Laborde, who um, is a French researcher, but he actually works at the German Sports University in Cologne. And I was really lucky to get some funding to actually go out for a month for him to train me up, teach me everything oh. that I needed to know um, in my first year of my PhD. And since then, it's we've basically just been on a journey to really understand how heart rate variability is a self-regulation resource and how we can apply it to sport and he you know without him I wouldn't be where I am now and we we collaborate on everything together um so yeah I think you know although this is my interest it does it is the people around you that that help you you know really kind of spur you on and run ideas past each other and yeah he has been so instrumental in my career and yeah, we're very much on this kind of journey to together. So yeah, that's probably why I say we all the time. <laughs> is it 
you know, without talking too personally, but is it is it something which is quite useful in terms of your own life? You know, like managing, you know, sort of stressful situations and stuff. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's something that I use all of the time and I encourage friends, family all the time to, to, to use slow paced breathing. I often suggest apps that you can use. Um, and, you know, it, uh, it's something that I find really, really useful. You know, it's not just necessarily about reducing stress. It can also be, you know, about thinking more clearly or getting a better night's sleep. You know, there's lots of evidence um, behind using this slow paced breathing and having uh, better levels of uh, heart rate variability. Um, so it's definitely something that I, I use in, in my everyday life for sure. I think that's a really, again, like a really good sort of stepping stone to the to the next question, which is, you know, why do you do what you do, and 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 what's the, I guess the, what do you see as being the bigger impact? Yeah, I think um, I do what I do because I do just genuinely find it so interesting, um, and you know, to be able to really see uh, an athlete you know, look at their data and be able to like, wow, I didn't realise that that was happening to me at that point. Um, a, a specific example of that is when I was doing my final PhD study, I actually looked at um, shooters, so shooting athletes, um, mainly because they don't move very much when they play sports, so it doesn't interfere with our data. Um, and I often would say, would you like to look at your data after they've done this pressurised shooting task? And they'd be so interested and you could literally show them on a screen, this is when you were under pressure, this is when you were doing a resting baseline and they can see the differences in, in their heart rate variability. And that kind of light bulb moment of, wow, like my brain really does influence my body and actually how can that influence my performance? How can I gain more control over this? Um, so that's something that I'm really passionate about and that kind of leads me to this bigger bigger picture and the more impactful stuff because I want to be able to make a difference with the research that that I'm doing. I've done a lot of kind of theoretical lab-based research um, and I want to really move forward to, you know, standardising the measurement because it is often frequently not used correctly, um, using it in the field, so actually impacting athletes. Um, we did a study with the HPA athletes at Solent actually that's still being written up, but, you know, again, like educating athletes about, you know, why is this important? How can we use this? Then does it actually have an effect over a long, longer period of time? So we, we give them an intervention with slow paced breathing for a period of one month. Um, so again, that that's really where I want to see this going. Um, is that more kind of applied side of things, reg regulating the, the use of heart rate variability in sport and exercise psychology? And um, yeah, hoping that it becomes uh, a bit more standardised, but also making a difference to people's performance and people's lives. I was, you, what you just said there, I was just going to say, and this is probably, I don't know whether this is a, I don't mean it to be a provocative question, but it's like, what's the, the key driver of it? Is it performance enhancement or is it, is it well-being? Are they interdependent in some way? And that is... Do you know what one of the biggest kind of questions in elite sport, um, you know, and you know, life in general as well. But at the same time, my argument would be you can't have best performance without best well-being. Um, they come hand in hand. You know, you might be performing at your best, but your well-being is horrendous, um, and that is not sustainable. You know, at some point you will burn out. 
Um, so for me, a tool that allows us to do both things at once, so helping to enhance performance, but actually also as a tool for well-being as well. It, it, and I think with the, the, one of the best things is, you know, oh, how do I enhance my heart rate variability without, you know, loads of kit and loads of fancy equipment and, you know, apps that don't work? And well, actually, you can just practice slow paced breathing. It's completely free. All you need is a bit of education for how to do it properly. Um, and that can help to enhance performance and well-being. So I think um, it, it's a it's a very tricky question. And depending on who you ask, you'll probably get different answers. But in my opinion, um, it's definitely something that goes hand in hand. You have to have both. I, well, I think that's a great answer. You know, I'm sure other people who will be listening will, you know, will, will probably think the same as well. Um, I'll get to this like golden nugget then, um, which is you know thinking perhaps about about other other people, you know, maybe who are doing research or who who, who wanted to do a bit more research. What what one piece of advice would you give them? Yeah, do you know what my piece of advice is? Don't be afraid to make mistakes, um, and don't be afraid of setbacks because a lot of the time, making mistakes and having setbacks are the things that make your journey and are the things that teach you the most. Um, I know from my own experience, I'd collected you know ten sets of data um, at a football club for my final study, and then they just suddenly kind of pulled the plug, said that they they didn't want to do it anymore. And for me, that was so difficult and really hard. And I thought it was going to be an amazing study. But in the end, I ended up getting involved with the National um, Small Ball Rifle Association. And I ran a really successful study there. And actually, it, it turned into a really nice partnership. I then um, got invited to talk at their national conference. Um, and I had, you know, shooting coaches coming up to me saying, this is this is fantastic research. You know, this is stuff that we really, like, want and we really need. So from you know, a, a setback and, you know, potentially the, the, a mistake actually using that sport because it, it wasn't as controlled as shooting could be. Um, you know, it actually came out and it was something really, really positive. And I, I'm sure you, you probably feel the same, but making mistakes is part of research and we're all human. So, you know, without doing that, you can't learn and you can't grow from it. It probably sounds a bit kind of cliche and cringy, but uh, that's definitely my my golden nugget for anyone uh, in their part in their research journey. I think that I think that's a great great piece of advice. I think it's a lot better than the piece of advice I gave in my in my in my podcast podcast um, which we we did before. Um, I think that making you research resilient, you know, you feel more resilient, you feel more confident because you've made mistakes and you've you've you know you've not allowed them to to define you and and shape the i guess the future i think that i think that's a really good piece of advice okay well, thanks for, i think this has been fascinating I've, I've i've learned a lot from this and um we're just going to finish now with this a uh, little bit of fun uh uh this or that um again your answers will probably be more interesting than mine so um <laughs> we'll not we'll not take too long to do this i'm just going to throw the, the questions at you and see what See what comes back. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. I hate tea. Okay, wow. I think I know the answer to the next question. Quantitative or qualitative? Yeah, quantitative all day long for me. Okay. Dog or cat? Cats. All the way. Okay. Um, book or journal? I'm going to say book only because like, I find chapters quite enjoyable to read sometimes. They're very educational. 
Okay, interesting. Instagram or Twitter? Gram, the gram. <laughs> Instagram, uh, interior designing and house renovations. Okay. <laughs> um, lit review or methodology? Methods, my favourite thing to write. My word. I don't think that's going to be popular. <laughs> Chocolate or sweets? Sweets, I think. I like both. Okay. Uh, undergrad or postgrad? Undergrad, purely because it was really fun. <laughs> it's a tough question, that. It really is. I felt, I felt guilty if I said postgrad. <laughs> <laughs> Winter or summer? Summer. Okay. And then the last one, reading or writing? Writing, definitely. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Emma. Um, and, you know, to those listening, I, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. Um, so that, that concludes our uh, episode two of Solent Sessions. And, and now, really, it's, it's over to you guys. You know, we're going to be in touch with people and hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll take part. And, and, you know, Emma and I have, have done it today um it's, it's been it's been enjoyable yeah, um yeah. so so yeah now it's it's up to to you guys we're going to try and try and come to you and meet you and, and talk to you and learn a lot more from from you guys that the people who i guess make the faculty what it is so thanks for your time emma yeah.